Welcome to The Grand Walks. I'm your host, Daniel Bennett. Since the pandemic's preventing us from making theatre, we're focusing the spotlight out into the community to learn more about some London locals and their favourite places. Today, we're diving into downtown with Kathy McLaughlin, who has lived and worked in London's core for a majority of her career. We're going to talk about growth in the core, our favourite businesses, and our love of, and wistfulness for, live events. By now, hopefully you're standing at the starting place of this walk, which is at the Forks of the Thames overlooking the water fountain, slightly north of the splash pad, and have had the opportunity to look at the map and directions. Listen for me or Kathy giving location markers, and that's how you'll know where you are in relationship to us. Feel free to speed up, slow down, or give us a pause if you need to. Heads up, we're going to be making a stop in front of Waldo's, Stash, Grace, and London Music Halls to talk about those wonderful places. I'll let you know when it's time to start walking, but for now, take in the sights around you while listening to Lacey George, costumer at the Grand Theatre, who will start us off with a land acknowledgement. Wase abno kwa indigena kaz, anishna be kwa nindao, kiko nong minwa zogin donjaba, mjike dodem, mandal kwa don sun, jigjiganeshi kwa osheyan, and jelnong kuro kwa kobdo sun. This walk was recorded in London, Ontario, the traditional lands of the Ottawaderan, also known as the Neutral People, and territories associated with the various treaties of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, and Lenapewak. Locally, there are three First Nations communities. They are the Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, the Oneida Nation of the Thames, and the Muncie Delaware Nation. We would also like to recognize the urban Indigenous population comprised of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people. We acknowledge the traditional lands upon which we operate, as well as all the sacred waterways. And can you tell me why you were interested in starting your walk here? The water was a lot higher back in the 1800s, I guess. And there were a bunch of people who had been out on a beautiful, you know, trip along the river on a beautiful river boat. And they came back here and I guess there was, there was something on one side of the boat that they were all rushing over to see and it actually capsized the boat. And a number of people drowned. So very tragic, very tragic. And it's interesting to me because, not only because of that, that part of history, but also because they say that's why a lot of the buildings downtown are haunted. Because they used a lot of the, the commercial buildings as temporary morgues for all of these bodies of the people who perished at, at, that, at that time on the riverboat disaster. And, uh, you know, we hear stories all the time from building owners and people, employees of stores, that there are some interesting things going on mm -hmm. in those buildings. And they, they attribute it to that disaster mm -hmm. and the souls that have never found rest. Wow. So there's so much history here at the Forks of the Tam, is. isn't there? Well, it's really where our community started, mm -hmm. right? And that's what I love about this place. Not only is it beautiful and natural, and a lot of Londoners don't even realize that we have a riverfront or a waterfront. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, as Londoners, turn our back on the river, yeah. but it's a beautiful natural area. And you know, it's when you come down here, you understand how important it is to clean up the river too, and to you know listen to the First Nations and to listen to all of the the people who are the stewards of the river and uh, do what we can to stop the pollution and mm -hmm. and you know make it healthy and make it vibrant because this is where London began, mm -hmm. and even before it was London. You know, when it was the Antler River and, and the First Nations were here. And there's a lot of history here, a lot of stories to be told. That's what I love about this area. Not only that, but it's also beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and so it's uh, steeped in a lot of history. Yes. What do you imagine for the future of this space? Oh, well, you know, there's a ton of potential, obviously. Uh, if we don't overdevelop it, like there was that great initiative, that great competition that the London Community Foundation did and the, the plan for the ribbon of the Thames, that, that cool promenade that was going to you know, go out into the water and it would be an observation point. And uh, I think, you know, hopefully that will come in the future, but uh, the, the people at the London Community Foundation very wisely decided that it was more important to put their money into housing now because of our you know, homelessness issues, our poverty issues. Uh, you know, it, it would have been easy to go ahead with that you know, sexy project and get people to invest in it, and it probably could have happened, but uh, I'm really proud of them for choosing you know, people first. And uh, that, that this project can always happen in the future when you know, maybe there's a little bit more prosperity and everybody in our community is doing a little better, then you know, we can all enjoy it. Because one of the things that I love about places like this is this is for all Londoners. You know, it's for everybody to come and enjoy. And we can still do that. Um, and we'll hopefully continue to do it more in the future. And what I'd like to see in the future is maybe a cleaner river. Mm 
you know um it's it's beautiful when we have you know the uh, the fountain is spraying you know, water into the into the river. Um, it's a bit low right now, but uh, it's a lovely natural area, and hopefully it will be maintained. Lots of people are, you know, carrying on fitness activities, running, cycling, doing the things people love to do. But it's also a gathering space, mm -hmm. and I think that it's an important gathering space for us as Londoners too. I agree with that. Yeah. Actually, this used to be my favorite place to watch the sunset. There's a bench that's no longer here, ah. uh, but I used to sit there and watch <laughs> the sunset go behind that giant tree next to the next to the fountain, and it was one of my favorite favorite things to do. Um, How lovely! Yeah, and so peaceful too. Very peaceful. And that's a, it's a it's a calm spot in the heart of our city. That's mm -hmm. what I love about it as well. Uh, I like to bring visitors here because this is a side of London that they typically don't see. So when I'm taking people around on a walking tour, and even the students that I tour around with every fall for the urban geography program, I always bring them down here because I think this is so inspiring. And it's not the view of London that most people get, you know, apart from in the tourism brochures, <laughs> which, you know, locals don't tend to read. So uh, I just want to be sure that people get to enjoy this too, not just the folks who are, who are on the bike trail or the people who are you know, going to the park, the splash pad. Mm -hmm. This is for everybody. Well, let's start heading downtown. So we'll turn around and walk uh, by the splash pad here and head uh, toward King Street. And on our way towards downtown, can you tell me the story about how you came here to London? Yes, I was born here. And I've lived in Toronto and Oshawa, but always came back. And I lived downtown for 20 years. So I lived, I used to work at London Life. And as a corporate, as a corporate employee, I lived downtown and just loved it. So I was um, looking for a volunteer opportunity and that brought me to an organization called Main Street London and I really enjoyed the work and it turned into a job. Mm -hmm. I love coming up and we're seeing these, these new buildings here that are yes. going up. Do you know anything about them? The building in the distance is the Riverwalk building which is a tri-car development and it's one of a few they've done downtown now. I can speak about how important in general residential developments are to the core because we really, uh, we really need more customers for the downtown businesses. So when we have these buildings, it brings more people into the, the restaurants, brings more people into the stores, and it, uh, it gives us a new customer base. And it's interesting because a lot of the people are Londoners who you know, lived in the suburbs, empty nesters, kids are all gone, and they wanna have a great lifestyle. And downtown is definitely a place where they can have a great lifestyle. There's so much to do here, so much to see here. And you know, when you're poised here overlooking the Thames, it doesn't get much better, I would say. You know, there are lots of great opportunities all over, but this is a, a pretty cool development. I know I'm a downtown dweller myself, and I love it because you get, like you're saying, you get nature, uh, but you get access to all the best buildings and all the best restaurants. Well, um, we think so, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of great places all over the city, but I think we have more of them downtown than anywhere else. So, you know, it's a, it's a nice cluster. Can you speak uh, any more about uh, uh, densification of, of London? Well, it is part of the London plan to intensify the core. And there are you know, different reasons for that. Obviously, we want to you know, improve our core because your core is your calling card of the city. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a great core, people don't have a great impression of your city, which means they might not move here, might not bring jobs here, might not invest here. Mm -hmm. So for those reasons, it's really important to improve our downtown. I totally agree with you. You know, there's... Uh, I think there's a big push right now. We're seeing lots of development uh, happening in the downtown core. Yeah. We're seeing lots of uh, residential buildings go up, and I'm really excited by that myself. Yeah, so, so am I, honestly. <laughs> you know, not just to make the downtown happy, but also because it costs a whole lot less to do that than to sprawl, because we have all the infrastructure here already. Yeah. And some of these, well, I'm just noticing the back doors there <laughs> on the redeveloped Infotech. That's a beautiful project. What I was going to say about intensification is that um, it really does help be the taxpayers because we don't have to lay all those new sewers and water lines out to the burbs and beyond into the farmlands. And we can preserve our farmlands for farms to help feed our city. And then other than that, you know, it's uh, obviously good, uh, good practice, economic practice to intensify the core. Cities all over the world are doing this, not just London, Ontario. Yeah. But I think a lot of Londoners don't know that the London plan, which was approved by council a few years ago, calls for that intensification. 
So we are supposed to be doing this. So the developers are doing a good job yeah. of you know, committing to, to these places and building interesting residential developments. And, um, and you know, there's a whole mix of developments too, not just luxury condos. Mm -hmm. There are also affordable housing buildings as well. And we do need that mix. Mm -hmm. I agree. Because again, this is everyone's downtown mm -hmm. and we have to have housing that works for everyone. Yeah. You mentioned the Infotech building, and I have to yeah. agree, I love those. I love those old doors yeah. um, those, the, with the, uh, the diagonal woodwork on them. Yes, uh, yeah, and those beautiful windows. And the beautiful windows. Yeah. And I, we won't go there this time, but on the other side, it's actually, this is, I think, my favorite building in London. Really? Because of the houndstooth, well, not only the only reason, but okay. because of the houndstooth stonework yes. in, the, in the driveway, I think that's like, it's they like something I haven't seen buildings. before. Yeah. Yeah. Nichols and Sheffield did a really great job on the rehab of this whole block. Mm -hmm. So Infotech was in a church on Queens Ave mm -hmm. and outgrew that space and they made a commitment. You know, they're very much to be admired and, and thanked for making this commitment to this beautiful block of heritage buildings. Mm -hmm. And they've retained all of the heritage features mm -hmm. and uh, are using it as a workplace for their team. Uh, there was a restaurant here that uh, unfortunately didn't work out, but there will be an opportunity for somebody else to go in there. And uh, one of the few restaurants that had parking right behind it as part of its, its deal with the landlord. How important is it for you that uh, developers uh, respect the heritage? Because there's so much history here in London. Respect yeah. the heritage buildings. Well, it's always a balance, right? I mean, you can't, you can't save everything. You can't preserve everything. But it is an important part of our, our character and our history. And you know, wherever it's possible, we do try to encourage that. There are incentives available from the city to help um, pay for facade improvements uh, to retain all those beautiful heritage features. We do know, know a lot of uh, contractors as well who do that specialized work because it is highly specialized. Yeah. yeah. You know, as a yeah, as a technical director, I'm I sometimes we're we're invested in building things. It's oftentimes harder to uh, modify something that uh, already exists than it is to build new. And uh, that question comes up so much in uh, in theater. Absolutely, but that is why there are incentives available to help. And uh, a lot of the part, a good part of the downtown is part of a heritage conservation district, so we don't have the ability to just tear everything down. It's against the bylaws, uh, and it would be very expensive if somebody went against those bylaws. The fines are significant, but you know, we want to work with our heritage. I guess really that's more the message, and that we can integrate it with new developments. A perfect example of that is Budweiser Gardens. You know, the northeast corner of Budweiser Gardens basically is a tribute to the old Talbot Inn that used to stand on that same ground. They didn't have to develop it that way, but it was a kind of a nod. I know the heritage community might have thought they'd rather see the old buildings there, um, but it was kind of a nod to what used to stand there. And uh, anybody who was around before Budweiser Gardens was built will remember the Talbot Inn, remember the fire hall, remember some really great nights of fun in that place. <laughs> and you know, that's, those, those landmarks are part of our history too, yeah. right? It's a part of our cultural history. And there are a lot of cultural touchstones downtown as well that you know, used to be performance venues, used to be cultural hubs, and uh, we honor those places and we want to see more of them because you know, downtown is an important heart of our arts and culture community. And we really do want to improve that and re retain it. Uh, it's one of the reasons why it's so hard to see now what's going on in the culture sector, uh, the music industry, all of those wonderful things that bring people downtown are not able to operate as usual. And it's really tragic. As I was coming down here, I was thinking about, you know, what we all have in common, the, the Grand Theatre, lots of organizations in London, the City of London, and a lot of what we do is similar in terms of storytelling. So telling the story of our downtown, you know, it's past, it's present, it's future, but also placemaking and kind of like, you know, creating the setting for interesting experiences and unique experiences because that's what we're all about here. So in a lot of ways, we have a similar mandate. We just do it in different ways. 
I love that. I love that uh, that ideology. It reminds me of being in Chicago and being on the architecture boat boat tour, and they're talking about how the buildings have uh, conversations with each other. Yes. And I feel like that's what we're doing. Yeah, the past, the present, the future. Yes. Building building a city that that reflects and honors all of those things. That is uniquely its own city. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to be anyone else. Yeah. So it's always interesting when people come and say, "Oh, you should do what they do in Toronto, or you should do what they do in Stratford." Well, we're not Toronto, we're not Stratford. So we have to do, and I'm sure you find that at the Grand as well, uh, that we have to do things that are unique to London, Ontario, that reflect our heritage, our community, mm -hmm. and its makeup, mm -hmm. you know, its citizens, its stories. Mm -hmm. And I really admire that the Grand is, has headed in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate that. We're coming up to Talbot and King here, and uh, which I'd say is where a lot of the, the, the shops and restaurants really start. Uh, so is there a favorite spot you have in London? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, choose just one, right? It's impossible to choose just one. In this little section, in this next block, I would say Jill's Table and uh, Abruzzi mm -hmm. <laughs> up there are a couple of favorites. Uh, Jill's has always been like a retail therapy spot for me. When I'm having a bad day, I can go in there and browse and talk to the staff or talk to Jill, get re-inspired mm -hmm. and, you know, find something new that I can do, something exciting and interesting that I didn't know about before. And it kind of takes me out of my day yeah. and takes me somewhere else. Jill uh, is an incredible marketer. Uh, an amazing retailer. She's an award-winning retailer. She goes to a lot of shows and conferences and is always honing her craft, is always on the look for the next big thing, the next big culinary item, mm -hmm. whether it's a gadget or an ingredient. <laughs> she does both. So, <laughs> so I really uh, have a lot of respect for her. She works very hard. During the pandemic, she pivoted pretty quickly and turned herself into a curbside delivery store. Mm -hmm which took other folks a bit of time, but she was very quick in how she adapted to the pandemic and just thought about her customers' needs and how she could still fulfill them. Mm -hmm. So speaking about the pandemic, yes. what have you been thinking about most during the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> how much I live, miss live performances. <laughs> Fair, me too. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like truly, music and theater are really important to me. So that's been hard, but also, I think what I've come to understand about all of this and this time that we've had to reflect and kind of you know, think about what's important is you know, how our priorities are really narrowed and refined at a time like this. Like you really, really discover what's important to you. But you also, I found for myself and for our business owners too, it's kind of an opportunity to reinvent yourself a little bit and to discover new things that you're thinking about, but you thought, oh, I'll never have time to do that. Well, the world gave us time to do a lot of things and in my coaching and my work with some of the business owners that I've been talking to who've been a little distraught to be honest some of them I've uh, encouraged them to think about what opportunities lie in front of them not just the problems so you know what do you love about your business what don't you love about your business how can you change those pieces you don't love you know whether it's looking for new products to sell or you know a new style of service to provide or you know, completely reinventing yourself. All those options are, po are possible now. We just have to have the courage to pursue them. And uh, I'm really happy to say that some of the folks I've worked with have been re-inspired and are taking themselves in a different direction. That's what I love about entrepreneurs is they're very adaptive. You know, when adversity comes along, they figure it out because failure is not an option. And I always enjoy working with folks like that. So I have a lot of faith and confidence that many of our businesses will make it through. There's Mark, <laughs> and, how do you and Mark? he's one of them. So Mark is the owner of Waldo's. Fantastic. Just doing a podcast, Mark, podcast. and we're talking about amazing businesses downtown. Oh, there are some amazing businesses further down. There's one right here. <laughs> so this business has been here for a while, and has yeah. This is a group from the Grand Theater, and we're doing a podcast. So this business has been here for quite some time. It's a favorite, it's a long time favorite. But um, of course, during the pandemic, kind of got knocked on its, on its back. Yeah. Got back up though, uh, in an amazing way. Transformed a lot of the business to an online, more of an online order system. And Mark also owns Mark Fine, Mark's Fine Meats okay. inside the market. And he's kind of combined the two services. So you can call and order food to pick up or deliver, but he'll also get meat from his butcher shop for you. 
which cool. is pretty incredible. And it's organic, it's fantastic. And it's just, it, this is a business owner who is a survivor and who will make it through this pandemic. I have no question of that. It's been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Mark. Thank this you, Mark. Is, uh, it's this good is to great. see you. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> That's what I love about London, uh, London as well. Whether you're downtown, you're in Wortley, yeah. you always run into people you know. Always. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what people love about it, as you say, though. It's those casual collisions mm -hmm. that can lead to new friendships or mm -hmm. renewing old friendships, new business partnerships, mm -hmm. new opportunities. That's why you know the tech community likes to be downtown because they run into each other at coffee shops. Mm -hmm. And from that can come new projects. Mm -hmm. How do you facilitate these casual collisions? Or well, do you, or do you facilitate these casual collisions? We facilitate it by making sure we have the right mix of businesses mm -hmm. where people can gather and connect. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where that becomes so important to us to uh, to manage the mix mm -hmm. so that there are enough of the right kind of businesses that people can have the experiences they want to have downtown. We have this. We're just coming in on the Richmond Street con construction. construction right now. Do well, you, yeah. what's, what's happening? So uh, this is part of renewing a hundred year old sewer system, which is part of intensification mm -hmm. so that we can intensify, have more uses in the upper floors of these buildings even, which is starting. People are starting to redevelop them into apartments, but you know, that places a strain on the old sewer systems. So they had to be updated. And you know, while it's messy, during the pandemic is probably not the worst time to be doing this. Uh, we put up signs like this to kind of encourage people to think a little more kindly about the construction because it's hard. Everybody hates construction and disruption, but it's part of transformation too. And you know, we're asking people, please still support these businesses, even though it's a little bit, you know, messy to get to them. It's very important to us to make sure they survive the construction as well as the pandemic, obviously. And uh, and just, we've been seeing a lot of people are showing a lot of support for local businesses and so appreciated. At a time like this, more than ever, supporting local is important. Um, I love looking just down this, if we're looking down Richmond from King Street South here. South from King. South yes. on King, yeah. yeah. Seeing all of these beautiful old buildings that are yep. painted different colors. You really get the sense of the history of what the city might have looked like Absolutely. once upon a time. Well, this is the most intact block of Victorian architecture in the city. So very important to us to preserve. We have touched most of the buildings in this block in terms of incentives, in terms of improvements, uh, to try and make sure that these buildings survive and thrive because each generation is just the steward of the buildings for their generation and then we pass it on pass the baton mm -hmm. to the next generation mm -hmm. so we're just trying to keep these buildings viable maintain their facades mm -hmm. you know make sure they're up to code on the inside building code and fire code uh, and we work really hard along with the city to make that happen so that they'll be there for the next generation to enjoy mm -hmm. and so you speak about incentives what kind of incentives are you offering oh the city has loans uh, for facades and for upgrades that are related to building code and fire code. Uh, for parts of the downtown, they also have an uplighting grant for the buildings. Um, so you know, everything from signs and lighting to, re re, you know, repointing re brick, replacing brick, taking off old uh, things, the, f the fronts that might not have been the original storefronts and replacing them with more authentic, more period appropriate to the building and to the core. And there are heritage planners at the city that help with that. So it's not like we do that on our own. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like a team effort to preserve the character. And then there are projects like this building across the street here on King Street that has been bought by a developer and they want to tear it down. And there's some opposition with the heritage community. It's gone for appeal. I'm not sure exactly where it stands right now. But, you know, you have to kind of weigh the benefits of keeping a building like this that is not up to code, deteriorating inside with a new development that will bring lots more residents to the core. So there are always trade-offs and I'm glad these aren't my decisions to make <laughs> because I see both sides. You know, I really do. Like we can't, we have to, you know, provide for progress, but we also have to preserve the history. Yeah. 
Okay, so what's exciting over here? <laughs> well, a couple of things are exciting here. So if you look across the street, so we're at King and Clarence. You look at north across the street, it's a parking lot. But what it's going to be is a residential development. That's exciting. So in time, there will be three towers here, which will bring a lot of people into the core. I think they were looking at, you know, putting some students into those buildings, Fanshawe students as well, um, and also other folks who are looking for housing downtown. So it's really, it was uh, one of those development projects that was challenged for a little while and was taken to the OMB for resolution, but it's, on, it's, it's back on track and it's going forward now. So very exciting times, more construction, I get it, disruptive, unfortunate, but the good news story is this will bring more people to the core, which we absolutely need and have to encourage. So, you know, all of these cranes that we see in the sky, they're signs of progress. The one path just up north there is um, one Richmond Row. And that is another great development that's going to be luxury apartments. Very unique building design and uh, kind of the, the face of the future on Richmond Row. Uh, behind us is the old Novak's, which is an outdoor kind of store, um, very iconic in London. The Kaplan family owned it for many years. The Novak family originated it and the Kaplans uh, operated it. And uh, they retired, but now it is, um, uh, it's the home of Reimagine Co, which is moving. So it, it's one of those places that we're constantly finding new tenants for it. So it's a little bit of an incubator without officially calling it an incubator. And we've worked with uh, Titus Ferguson to help find tenants and, and to promote this as a location to start businesses. This uh, place next door called Stash Fabrics and Notions this was just being used for storage for a few years. And we saw it and we had a prospective tenant come and take a look at it. And they said, yeah, I'd really like to open my business here. So it got all cleaned out, he changed his mind. <laughs> so they had to find another tenant, but this now uh, is home to uh, Stash Fabrics and Notions and they have all kinds of cool um, quilting kind of supplies. But she also has done, uh, you know, brought in a lot of fabrics that people are buying for masks an elastic to make masks. So uh, she's kind of uh, reinvented a little bit of the business based on what people need right now. And uh, she's got lovely planters outside and this is a beautiful little home for her. Yeah, yeah very traditional storefront here too. So this used to be red and yellow and green okay. paint. And uh, we asked them if they could, you know, update that a little bit. So they've done these lovely gray tones and it really brings out the character in the old building and we're just thrilled with how it looks. They've replaced some windows up up top that really needed to be replaced. So this is the kind of work, work we do, like one building at a time. You know, work with the city and work with the owners to try and make these transformations happen and give the buildings new life and create new opportunities for business owners to locate in the core. That's great. Yeah. My mother, is. she lives in Oakville right now, but she yep. is a quilter galore. Oh, and so every time, hey, uh, every time she's like, do you know Stash? I'm going to get you to pick up some oh, stuff. Oh, seriously? Oh, yeah. She's all over the, the, she's the quilting. She's heard all about it. Yeah, she's on the quilting circuit. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so go, we're just Mom. Gonna, we're just going to turn uh, yeah. left here uh, to go up on Clarence. Yeah. I... With the hum I, of the construction equipment in the background, because yeah. <laughs> we're downtown. <laughs> do you know anything about that mural, that Bud Gowan mural? I do. So Bud Gowan is the fellow who used to own an antique shop right there. So that is a Tamboro mural, I believe. So family of local artists who are very talented. And uh, this is kind of a, a tribute to what used to stand here, his antique store which was established in 1957. So here we are in 2020, and Mr. Gowan retired not many years ago. So he was a fixture in the downtown for sure. And every floor of that building was full of antiques. No, but he was, he was one of our mainstays downtown for sure, one of the old guard of business owners. How, do you have any thoughts on how we increase uh, diversity in the downtown core? That's a good question. I think, you know, a part of it, starts with, well, obviously making everybody feel welcome is part of it. But I think actively recruiting stores from diverse communities is helpful. Businesses, restaurants, you know, making people feel like they have a future here too. 
but sometimes it's you know giving folks from different backgrounds an opportunity to try something in a pop-up location so, so that they can see whether their idea works because you know to commit to a rent every month is challenging for some people if they don't know if they don't have a good idea of what the business is going to produce you know so they need a good business model a good financial model and if they have a good financial model then it can all work out I love the idea of pop-up stores because you know there are there's so many different cultural groups and a lot of times they're on the in the suburban areas of the city yes. so how are so in strip malls mm -hmm. well you know that's often because of the rent that is less expensive the farther out of the core you are and that's because the people in the core pay higher taxes than everybody else and the real estate values because the real estate values are higher so you know are there rent subsidies are there programs like that that would be available to them i don't know but it's certainly something that would would help you know and then once they're on their own two feet then you know it's full steam ahead like a little spot like this would be a perfect little pop-up shop so the windows just boarded because you know people don't want it broken into right now because there hasn't haven't been a lot of people downtown lately but you know i think we're gonna have to put in the links of the in the links on the website if you have a pop-up idea for this storefront message <laughs> message kathy, oh, kathy. <laughs> exactly yes i would be all over that yeah. yeah because we are talking to different landlords mm -hmm. oh look here's our favorite grace <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's roger <laughs> yeah so as we come to the corner of uh clarence and dundas here we have uh well my favorite restaurant in the city uh grace restaurant which is actually where we met right Kathy? it is it is so i have to admit it's one of my favorites too <laughs> i'm not allowed to have favorites but, <laughs> but it's one i come to frequently let's say how's that yeah, yeah. and it's a it's a beautiful spot it's a amazing transformation of a former Burger King mm -hmm. and a former Chinese buffet restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, it is now a beautiful local fi fine dining restaurant mm -hmm. uh, with a fantastic patio, mm -hmm. incredible staff, amazing chef, mm -hmm. and uh, it really has become a leader on Dundas Place. Mm -hmm. Like Grace gets involved in every event that's going. They always make an effort to be part of. If the streets close, they'll put things out on the on the patio or on the sidewalk on the patio what they call their veranda because that's true to their brand so uh, it's just one of those places that I admire because they do everything at the highest level and really despite any adversity keep coming back and, and doing just amazing work and is there anything special they've done during the pandemic oh yeah a lot of things actually so grace was one of the first restaurants to really pivot during the pandemic. So they closed for a very short period of time and then quickly got gift cards up on the website so that you could buy gift cards to help support the restaurant in the early days of the pandemic. Following that, uh, they set up an online store and uh, created Grace Pantry. And Grace Pantry is a really cool idea. So uh, they recognized that people couldn't go out to restaurants to eat, but they still needed food delivered to their homes or pick up food to take home. Uh, in places other than grocery stores because grocery stores were a little bit uh, unreliable, let's say, for a little while as they figured out their supply chain and their, and people you know, were hoarding like crazy. So we were all looking for alternative sources of food. So Grace came through with Grace Pantry, which was um, an interesting idea. So it was some prepared foods that they made in the restaurant, but it was also just products from their suppliers because uh, Angie, the owner, wanted to keep her suppliers in business too. So she has a community around her that she supports and in turn they support her. So the idea behind the pantry was, you know, let's, let's all work together to keep these businesses going and get food for you that is high quality, that is local, that is, you know, the, the kind of food you want to be eating if you're stuck at home by yourself with nothing else to do. Uh, so she, she, she did that, she delivered beautifully. And then when they allowed beer and wine sales, she added beer and wine sales. So they, they do some prepared foods, some baked goods, some, you know, just products from farmers and, uh, you know, meat products and vegan products. And they really have thought about everybody's needs and have something for everyone. So I really admire how they pivoted. And again, you know, set up the patio very quickly. This was built by Angie's father and uncle, I believe. So it is a family labor of love, this place. Her parents helped to build the banquettes inside, those beautiful curved banquettes. Um, and it really is uh, an, just a lovely space. I mean, you just wouldn't believe it was a Burger King before. They've really transformed it. Favorite dish? 
oh, I don't know if I have just one. Uh, last year it was the Trout Riette. Mm -hmm. I just had them over and over again because it was such a, a light yet satisfying meal. Yeah, how about you? What's your favorite dish? Uh, appetizers, I have to say the ricotta, and I know yep. the, the accoutrements uh, change each time. Yes. Uh, you know, that keeps it interesting. It does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you yeah. coming back because it's For a sure. staple that you yeah. love, and but it, they're constantly reinventing. Yeah. In terms of the mains, always love the duck breast. Yes. I mean, there isn't a thing I've had that I have not enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. Um, so as we head west down Dundas Street, yes. I think the, the new brickwork is so beautiful. Can you tell me yes. anything about it? Well, just that it is part of the plan for Dundas Place. I'm not sure exactly where it comes from, but it's kind of a nod to the old cobblestones. Uh, much more stable than the cobblestones we had before, though. So there have been a lot of complaints about some of the cobble that's on the boulevards downtown because it's lifted over time. And the reason why that happened is because it didn't have a stabilized base. So it was just, you know, put in sand. And, you know, we have a lot of heaving in the frost period and thawing in the spring and it just it you know generally not conducive to cobble but what they did here was they laid concrete mm -hmm. as an, an underlayment and they put the stones into the concrete so we shouldn't see that same shifting mm -hmm. so it just the the stones give it a more charm more interest if you take a look down the middle of the street you'll see there's kind of a darker mm -hmm. pattern that weaves and that's actually meant to resemble a river and it's a nod to the Thames, and it leads down to the Thames River. So that was actually an idea that I talked about with my hairstylist, Jeff, and he came and, and spoke to the folks in planning and said, you know, there should be a better connection to the river, and he had ideas. And I like to believe that that's part of what inspired this. Um, because, you know, the city will listen to ideas that people have. And so the idea is that this is a flex street, Yes. Do you have any insight into what was planned for this flex street? Well, actually, the, the manager of Dundas Place mm -hmm. had, I think, about 13 festivals lined up for Dundas Place until the pandemic. So unfortunately, they all had to be canceled. So then the challenge is, well, what, you, what can you do to make this the most exciting street in London during a pandemic when people can't gather and people can't get together in big numbers? So we've been working with her on that. We've been doing small activations. So where we'll, you know, like hire a person playing guitar to go around and kind of serenade the patios in a very, you know, kind of casual way. And uh, we've also, the city also started closing Dundas Place on Friday night, Saturday and Sunday after four, I believe it is now. Uh, so that we have at least some nice evenings on the patios without cars racing by. <laughs> So it's, um, it's, it's been an interesting start. It's really hard to tell, you know, how successful it's been because of the restrictions with not being able to bring people in any great numbers together. But I think we're encouraged by what we've seen up until now, that people generally are showing they do want to be out, out in the public a little bit more in a safe way. Uh, and the businesses are very accommodating with wearing masks and with uh, doing all the things they need to do, all the hand washing protocols and, and hand sanitizers and, and barriers inside and all the things that will make people feel safe because we want people to feel safe when they come downtown for sure. And up on our right here, we have the London Music Hall. Yes. Uh, and that beautiful sign there. So this is a project that was eight years in the making, honestly. So, you know, we work with the business owners downtown and for a long time, the main entrance of the London Music Hall has been on the Queen's Ave side of the building. And they kind of turned their back on Dundas Street. And, uh, you know, for their own reasons, and I respect those reasons, I would always talk to the building owner though and say, hey, is this the year we're gonna do something? And the answer would usually be no. And then uh, just before, like about a year and a half before Country Music Week came to London, Ontario, I said to him, you know what? We're gonna have a lot of people walking down Dundas looking at this. And this is supposed to be a major venue for Country Music Week. I mean, you know, record label parties are happening here. Special concerts are happening here. Maybe this is the time to improve the facade. So not just the sign, but the facade. And he said, yep, you're right. So got together with his architect, came up with a drawing. We got some folks from the city together, like Heritage Planner and Urban Design and all the folks that need to have a say in these things. And uh, 
one of them said, have you ever thought about doing a marquee? And he said, you'd let me do that? Like shocked, just thought, oh, the city would never let me do anything that interesting that overhangs the sidewalk. But they said, yeah, no, let's do it. Let's think about it. And uh, that's kind of how this whole thing was, was conceived, that it was just a collaboration of city folks and an architect and the building owner. And they wanted digital signage, which was not allowed under the bylaw. So we had to have a special meeting about that. But at the end, it all came together. It all came together and they got what they needed. And as a result, we have a fantastic performance venue downtown that currently isn't being used. And uh, interesting side note, the business owner and building owner is currently building pools this summer because they can't do what they love to do. <laughs> Unfortunate, but you know, you got to put food on the table and he's got a number of families that he's supporting. So that's what they decided to do. They're already in the construction business previously anyway, so it's just a little bit of a leap to get into the pool building business. And that's more of that innovation you're talking about, Well, right? true, like really pivoted, like outside of their own industry. Mm -hmm. But you know, we'd love nothing more than to see them open again and see all those concerts happening at the Music Hall and Rum Runners. Uh, it's an important entertainment venue. It's a, th it's a place that brings people downtown. It brings people together. We have the most, you know, unique and exciting experiences you can't have anywhere else. Uh, they have a great, you know, they have great programming, they have great people working for them that book interesting up and coming bands, as well as you know very popular bands that you would never think would come to a smaller venue, but they do. So um, we're thrilled to have the London Music Hall here and we need it to survive. And you know, there's a lot of funding for everybody else, but there doesn't seem to be funding for businesses like this. So I think we still have work to do in terms of you know, economic resilience to put some solutions in place for businesses like this so that they can, they can continue on into the future, not knowing how long the pandemic's going to last or when we can next get together. Uh, it would be really nice to be able to uh, show them some love too. And so you're talking about facilitating conversations between the city and between businesses. What is your uh, philosophy when facilitating these conversations? So when you bring people together, magic happens. It's that one plus one equals three thing. We are connectors. We know a lot of people. So we make a lot of introductions. We'll, we'll you know, create a lot of in, in, like introductory meetings. And you know, the, the creativity happens in those meetings and long after those meetings are over. We're just trying to help people see what's possible. You know, we find when we work with groups of people that sometimes, um, especially when it's dealing with municipal officials, people will assume they can't do the things they want to do. And they'll say, you know, well, I just can't do that because nobody will let me. And uh, my response is, that, you know, well, the first no is not the last answer and we can help you get to yes. You know, it might not be everything you want, but it can be enough that you'll be happy because uh, the first no is not the last answer. Oh, I haven't seen these ones yet. Oh, look so yeah. uh, Fari hired um, Richard Denemy mm -hmm. to do all of the boards that he has on his buildings, the vacant buildings with messaging of, you know, hope and inspiration. <laughs> so that's what these are all about. And so we're gonna turn right here onto uh, Richmond and head up towards Vic Park. Um, oh, look at, look at these, so yeah, super cute. there's more along like that block. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as we walk through downtown, it, it is, uh, it's hard not to notice some of the uh, uh, the vacant storefronts as well as some of the poverty that's uh, that's downtown. Yes. So, what are our solutions? How do uh, what are our solutions moving forward? Oh, that's a big question. The big, quick question. It's a very big question. So, um, I guess in terms of issues like homelessness, poverty, mental health, addiction issues, those kinds of things, uh, the city actually has a 69-point plan called the Core Area Action Plan that was approved and funded and was going to be implemented before COVID hit. So we are waiting for the city to do more of that work. Um, you know, they can maybe do all of the work that they needed to because they understand budgets have been modified and staff have been laid off, but there still is an opportunity to address some of those issues through that plan. Uh, in terms of filling vacant storefronts, it's going to be interesting. I think we need to be a little bit more creative and rather than our traditional ways and maybe do more pop-up shops, maybe do more incubators, you know, shorter term leases to give people a chance to uh, get their business up and running before they commit to longer terms. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe some adjustments in the rents. You know, that's not something anyone likes to hear because nobody's reducing their taxes. 
unfortunately. So, or at least it doesn't seem to be working as well with the uh, rent relief as we had hoped it would. It's a very wide ranging plan. Uh, it went way farther than I thought it would, for sure. Uh, it talks about parking, it talks about housing, it talks about social programs, it talks about mental health, as well as activations that we can do downtown to make it more lively, to make it more vibrant. So it is a really far-reaching plan. And, you know, I give the city a lot of credit for coming up with this and for, you know, committing some budget dollars to it. And, you know, when the time is right, they'll implement different pieces of it. And uh, we're very hopeful that it will have an impact. You know, we're not going through anything that's any different from other cities. But I think what's different from other cities is we have this multi-point plan to address it. You know, I mean, obviously mental health issues and addiction issues, that's not just a municipal issue. Those are, you know, healthcare related, tends to be more provincial and federal in its mandate. But until we get a more fulsome plan from those levels, we have to start somewhere. So I am I'm very encouraged that our city made that commitment and hopeful that it will have an impact. So we talked earlier about uh, diversity. Uh, diversity of business owners and you know people coming from different communities and opening businesses here you know trying trying their craft you know applying their trade um, so there was one coffee shop on Dundas Place for a couple of years and it was owned by two Romanian ladies and they started out their business with some pastries that you know you could find in a lot of different locations they were sourced from Toronto they were bought frozen brought in and baked and they were delicious but there's nothing unique about them. So we started talking about, you know, attracting more customers because they weren't happy with the number of customers that were visiting them. And I talked about, you know, what their unique culture and what they make, their specialties, and encouraged them to try baking some of those specialties and bringing them in. And they did, and they proved to be very popular, um, not only with the community downtown, but also with the Romanian community who started frequenting their business because they had specialties they wanted. So it really it was a good strategy. And so I'm taking from that, don't do what you think people want. Yeah. Do what you know and what excites you. I mean, you also have to ask people what yeah. they want, <laughs> yeah. but, <laughs> and listen, but also don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to try new things. If they're things that are popular in your culture, they might be popular to others as well. And those specialties are kind of what we hang our hat on downtown. Mm -hmm. You can have those unique experiences that you don't have elsewhere. And of course, on our left-hand side here, we have... Oh, we just happen to have the <laughs> World Curious and London Proud Fabulous Grand Theater, <laughs> which is honestly, not because you're here, honestly, one of my favorite places in London. <laughs> I've been so impressed with the work over the years and particularly lately, going in a very bold and brave new direction with great results. And I'm very much looking forward to coming back to the Grand. It was very sorry that I didn't get to see the production of Room, but hopefully we'll be able to come again and see it. And uh, coming up on the right here is uh, my, one of my favorite places, Commonwealth Coffee, because I am a donut lover. Oh, yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> is that like a human thing? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a human thing. <laughs> and if you don't like donuts, yeah, you're not a, you're not a human. <laughs> super popular. So Boxcar started as this little pop-up inside of Commonwealth mm -hmm. and has become its own thing, right? It's become incredibly popular during the pandemic. Uh, and all these X's on the sidewalk are for people who line up to come and get their orders. So you gotta love that. Yeah, I feel, uh, I think my, what, my first week I had 13 do boxcar donuts. No. The first week. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, you're my new hero. <laughs> and then as we pass here on the left, it's that uh, building that you're talking about, One Richmond Row. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting design. You know, in terms of varying the colors and the levels are kind of askew, some of them. So visually very interesting. Makes me wonder what it would be like to be inside there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get a little bit of that uh, askewness as, well, you're, as you're living? <laughs> I wonder if the floors are tilted. <laughs> you know, if things roll off the counter, will you ever get them again? <laughs> no, but seriously, it's, it's a very interesting looking building. And, you know, I think... The city has been challenging developers to come up with more unique and interesting designs, not just the plain glass boxes that we've come to see, you know, with concrete and no real interest, no visual appeal. 
we're seeing a lot more interesting designs now. And again, that's a credit to the developers who, we know it costs more to develop product that way, but it also, I think, has more longevity. Really will stand the test of time. Yeah. Where do you think London has the most room to grow? In the core. In the core? <laughs> in the core, <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, like there's unlimited potential here, I believe. If there are people who believe in it, it will develop, it will redevelop. Downtowns keep reinventing themselves as the world changes, as, you know, people change. And I think you're always going to have time for the heart of your city. You need to care about the heart of your city. It's, you know, the beating heart of, of the whole entity. This is the place where people gather. You know, when we, when we win, you know, international hockey competitions, we don't go out to the mall to celebrate. We come downtown. It is the heart. It's where we come to gather and where I hope we continue to come to gather when we're allowed to gather again. <laughs> yeah. And then as we come up on Vic Park, yes. one of my favorite places to gather, play spike ball with friends. Yes. Um, is there anything you can tell me about Vic Park? So Victoria Park, obviously known, best known for our festivals. And those are very exciting and we're missing them very much. I know a lot of Londoners are. The musics, the arts and crafts. But also, you know, it's the people watching, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, and it was our first gathering place down in the core too. When, you know, our city was very young, this was where the garrison was stationed and quartered. So because of that, it's an important heritage site. And you cannot dig anything here without heritage permission. Because of that, I tried to do a uh, fiber optic cable installation in the park and uh, it required a very expensive uh, heritage dig. Like it, we needed a consultant to work with us on it. And uh, because there, there's lots of artifacts still, they believe, under that soil. So it's an important part of our history and our origin story. I should say the settler's origin story, obviously. But there's something special about Victoria Park. I mean, in the summer and in the winter, like in the winter, it has all the beautiful lights. I mean, I enjoy it equally in both seasons. I really do. In the winter, it's cool to come and see the people skating and, and see all the trees lit up for the holiday season and Santa's house and the kids get excited by Santa's house. And it's just alive with that energy, that excitement that comes at that time of year. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Kathy. You're it was welcome. a pleasure talking today. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on a grand walk with me. Wow, Kathy's fervor is palpable. I love her passion for innovation and can-do attitude. This podcast was recorded in late August and we're currently in October, so it's a little bonkers to think about what's already changed. With many of the more white-collar jobs continuing to work from home for the foreseeable future, I hope we can continue to support the businesses that are already there and continue to develop the downtown so when we are back to whatever our new normal will be, we have a vibrant downtown to return to. I should also note that the brickwork on the Infotech parking lot is herringbone, not houndstooth. I was listening and was like, what kind of designer are you, Daniel? Uh, the Grand Walks would not be possible without our lovely team here at The Grand, including Dennis Gardham, Deb Harvey, Lauren Rebello, Jen Matthews, Erin Ouellette, Suzanne Lantier, Lindy Hansen, Britt Duncan, Lacey George, and Megan Watson. Special thanks to friends Rob Novakovich and Frank Donato for brainstorming with me. Thanks again, and looking forward to getting some more steps in with you soon.